0: Even if I don't see it again, nor ever feel it, I know it is. And that, if once it hailed me, it ever does. And so it is myself I want to turn in that direction. Not as towards a place, but it was a tilting within myself. As one turns a mirror to flash the light where it isn't. I was blinded like that, and swam in what shone on me. Only able to endure it by being no one. And so specifically myself, I thought I'd die from being loved like that. That is The Annunciation by Marie Howe. Well, welcome back to speaking with joy, everyone. This is a part in my series, which I've been calling in my own mind, the escape cast good and wholesome distraction amidst the ordeal, uh, which we shall not name. Um, I am so excited today to have not just one guest, but three on the show. This has been a while in plotting and planning. Um, and I am excited to welcome, you don't have a name, you're not a band, you're not, uh, I guess you could form a band, we're all bored <laughs> enough to do that, um, but a collection of friends who are collected around doing exciting projects and lots of other things. So, welcome to the show, um, Women of the Linton Project, I'll call it that.
1: Hello. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs>
0: Hello. Hello. I have with me um Shanti and carolyn and larissa i am so delighted to have you guys um why don't we just go around and you all say a bit about yourselves um what say your name first so we can kind of recognize your voices and then where you are what you're studying because you are all doing you're all doing phds right now right yes yeah Yeah. And you all will recognize Shanty's voice because she's actually been on the show before. So we have Shanty to thank for this um this conversation that is coming up and we shall be talking about their wonderful project they've been doing um for Lint, which I've been receiving, and kind of their friendship and what it is all brought about. So let's go around the uh virtual room and introduce yourselves and tell us who you are and where you're from and what you're doing now. How about Shanty first?
2: <laughs> Um, hello, I'm Shanti. Uh, I am doing a PhD on uh, romantic poetry and particularly looking at the idea of pilgrimage in the poetry of William Wordsworth and sometimes uh, Coleridge and John Clare as well, uh, based
3: at Peterhouse in Cambridge. Larissa? Um, hello, uh, I'm Larissa. I'm a second year PhD student in Oxford, where I currently am. I study genetics with a particular interest in a rare neuromuscular disease, which is called spinal muscular atrophy, uh, with more fundamental interest in RNA biology as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I met Carolyn and Shanti in Oxford.
0: Um, mm-hmm. And Carolyn?
1: Um, So I am Carolyn, I'm doing my PhD in social anthropology, Um, and specifically I study the relationship between spiritual formation and secularism in the context of a student chaplaincy here in Oxford, Um, but basically it's a doctorate in how to be a good listener, I
0: think Mm. is most of what
1: I do, just listening to people.
0: Gosh, if ever there were an applicable uh, life skill that one could take away from a PhD, that would be one. Um, I love, it's so fun to have all of you on. I've realized that usually when I'm like in groups of PhD students, they're all clumped around one thing. Do you know what I mean? Like usually I find myself with a whole bunch of theology PhDs or a whole bunch of, you know, English PhDs, but we are all doing like, I mean, similar things in some ways, but quite different things. Genetics and literature and social anthropology are all and then whatever it is that I do um, are all very different things. So it's, it's fun uh, to be here. Now, with all of your diverse interests, tell me about how you all met. And then this kind of in the Venn diagram also connects with how I met you, Shanti. Uh, what was the context for that?
2: Um, so we all met, including me and you, Joy, uh, at Pusey House in Oxford um, and also at St. Barnabas uh, Church, the parish church uh, near where you used to live. Um, and I think we all met at varying times through that yeah. over the last year. Um, so you, Joy, as we said on the podcast before, were the sponsor uh, for my baptism um, there. Um, Larissa was also there that day. I, I think I got to into a bit you for the
3: first time at the Easter vigil. Ah, there so we I go. Where that. you were
0: very nearly baptized. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> Um, and I think Carolyn, you were in Cambridge for that academic year and then only came to Oxford, um, this autumn or summer. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, and I think, uh, we kind of all met through various things there because Shanti, you and I met at Scriptorium, not even a year ago. I was just realizing that we're not, not even a year ago because I remember speaking to you on, I think it was May morning.
2: It was May morning because yeah, I was very excited.
0: And so the, the scriptorium is like a postgraduate study group based around monastic forms of prayer. And so you you pray and then you study and then you eat and it's all very wonderful. And Shanti and I had a very interesting conversation at that over um, May morning. And and then I think we've all met in various ways through stuff sponsored around then. Um, but it's funny because we were all grouped in Oxford and now only, only Larissa and Carolyn are still in Oxford. Is that right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right.
0: Um, and yet you are still doing fruitful and interesting things together, are you not? <laughs> I wish I could record the faces that I could see on Skype. So you all, um, you all have, uh, from that meeting, kept in contact and have been doing um, very, a very interesting project together. So why don't you all just tell me a bit about the project that you've been doing, that I've been getting in my inbox every
3: day for the last several weeks. So we're stemming from a similar project that Carolyn and I had been drawing on during Advent, which was mm. much more modest in, in scope and thoughtfulness and structure. Um, we've been compiling for every day of Lent, a collection of one poem, one piece of visual art, and one piece of music, um, somehow thoughtfully assembled and paired together um, that we would be sending to people as a means to progress through Lent Mm -hmm. and voyage through Lent and reflect through Lent and engage in conversations with each other and within ourselves and with God. Um, Mm -hmm. That sounds very big. Um, (laughs) Am I missing anything in the short uh, description of what this Lenten plotting has been? Is that sounding I about right? Think,
1: no. I don't think so. I feel like that covers it. Yeah. I
2: yeah. think sometimes we have more than one poem or more than one painting. Or even more than one piece of music. Um uh, uh, <laughs> that is received in unfolds.
0: Well, I've loved getting it in my inbox and a couple of weeks ago you all were like sending out a PDF every week, right? Rather than um, That's right. but then a few weeks that you transition to every morning, which must be quite a lot of work, but I have to say that I really like getting it in my inbox every morning, especially in these kind of formless, shapeless days. It's nice to have a thing I can count on or, you know, whenever it comes morning, afternoon. That's um, exactly the,
3: what it, what triggered it. The
0: yeah. Oh, was that why? Yes. Sir. Yeah.
2: So we, we switched to doing it every day when, yeah, when the coronavirus, um, was more involved in impacting our everyday routine yeah. when I came back to Worcestershire etc and we thought it would be nice to have that that daily with them.
0: Well I can attest that it really is and so who has this been going to like kind of what communities have been experiencing the Linton project of your of your brilliance?
3: Various people that we know really so our Current church communities, um, Pusey House, St. Barnabas in Oxford, various friends that we know from each other, I guess Shanti for you, Cambridge, Yes, yeah, so people. St
2: Bennetts and little St Marys in Cambridge as mm-hmm.
3: well um, and
2: then various kind of other people we know either through the church or um our um, friends or family. and um, I, I know there are people who are now getting it in in Canada, in Savannah in um, New York. In New York, in Dublin, um, uh, it's it's about uh, about one hundred and fifty people, I think.
0: That's um, that's a big list for something that started just within your own churches. Yeah. Um, what has it been like to work in it together? Like, how have you all? Has one person done visual? One person done musical? One person done poetry? I can't imagine who would be doing the poetry. That's a joke. <laughs>
2: Well, have I, you all I mean, done personally? I think Larissa's PhD in genetics is super relevant to her selection of the music. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> um,
0: so you have you each been doing one thing?
1: Broadly speaking, um, yes. So in general, Larissa does the music, Shanti does the poetry, and I do the art. But um, I think there are probably contributions from all of us in on all of them in all of them well I don't think I've contributed anything to music but that's because I know nothing about it but you know in general <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah when we were looking at doing this we were trying to find a day where we had actually done what we think we do as in where I'd done the poem Larissa had done the music and Carolyn had done the art and it was actually quite hard to find a day because yeah. often Carolyn had actually suggested the poem to me or Larissa had actually suggested the painting to Carolyn. Um, Etc. So it is, it is a bit of a jumble, but loosely. Yeah. So, um, Shanti, I was,
0: you had messaged me earlier about, we're going to talk through, um, one of the weeks that you all have done. So this is, this is, uh, Lent four, right? This week. This, this
2: week is Lent, Lent five.
0: five. This is week five, but you were going to talk through Lent four? Yes. Yes. So tell us about okay. kind of the way that you've done it and the story and the, uh, kind of the way that you've dived into it and yeah tell me just a bit more about it
2: so we thought we we'd go for this week for two reasons one being that it was the first week that we started sending it um every day or it was the first full week we were sending it every day um and secondly because uh you joy have now received it all um because it was last week um and i think we thought this would be an interesting one because liturgically we had to Get from, in the sense of thinking about this as going through our Lenten progression or a kind of Lenten pilgrimage in some way, there's a movement from Laetare Sunday, Mothering Sunday, which is a kind of refreshment from Lent, Mm -hmm. uh, a sort of day of celebration, Laetare Jerusalem, through the Feast of the Annunciation, Mm. um, that great feast of the Incarnation and of Mary. Mm. And then towards the end of the week, the Sunday, which is often either celebrated as the Sunday in Lent Five or Passion Sunday. Yeah. Um, and if it's celebrated as Passion Sunday is the beginning of ushering in Passion Tides to the season and thinking about Christ's Passion leading up to Holy Week.
0: Mm.
2: So it's, it's kind of an interesting progression, in a, a shift. Mm. Um and just to give a very quick overview then of what the what the reflections look like that mm. week to give a sense of how they looked for the whole week. Um so we on the fourth Sunday in Lent, which we did keep as Leitare, um every Sunday we have a pattern of uh presenting very similar things to give a kind of stability. So a bit of the, the Ghent altarpiece by mm. um uh and then how, how just do you been pronounce that? Van Eyck? And Van it's sure. just
0: been it's just been um what's the word I want? Renewed, um renovated, not renovated. Yes. Uh, uh,
3: restored. Restored, thank you. And the new face of R the lamb is the um, the most shocking piece, which is actually reading about that restoration process and about the shock that the new face of the lamb, which is much more human like yes. within, within the shape of still being an actual animal, uh, reading about an article about that uh, and an analysis about people's reaction is what triggered. Um, our suggestion, my suggestion, I think did I suggest that that was, it Isn't was it? definitely yes um, and,
0: and for anyone who hasn't, go look at the restored articles. it's so fascinating
3: and there mm-hmm. is an excellent um very high resolution um link online where you can actually zoom in every single bit of detail. Mm-hmm. It is fascinating and so enriching and, and such a rich piece um but reading an article about that really shaped um the idea that that could be a great way to progress towards Hmm. the altar, the Paschal celebrations. And also there is a tiny reproduction of that piece in Piusy House just before one enters, uh, turns into the main chapel, um, which I hadn't noticed till starting to plot (laughs) land. And so 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 actually
2: that's probably helpful just before we do this week to take a step back and look at kind of the patterns of the whole. Um, So one of the patterns so we kind of sat down and we were like there are all these weeks six weeks seven eight weeks if you're talking about going into holy week and the octave of easter um 40 days plus the days of easter how are we going to you know structure this move through this and for us that was very much shaped by the liturgy so what are what are the readings appointed each sunday what are the natural progressions in this Um, But I think early on, particularly when you, Larissa and Carolyn were talking about it, building out of your Advent project, the two kind of ways of moving through that, we thought about was first moving through the Gentles piece on the Sundays. um, And secondly, moving every Friday, we look at two stations of the cross, which Mm -hmm. I'll come back to. So uh, the first Friday um, in week one of Lent, the first and second station, then the second and fourth and so on until when we get to Good Friday itself, we will then look at uh, four stations on that day. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, wow. This is really quite a masterful um, outline. Like, it sounds like it required quite a lot of planning.
3: Well, we like complicated and structured projects.
0: <laughs> it, one might even say, perhaps, that might have influenced the whole doing a PhD thing, eh? <laughs> 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 oh, okay, um, could I ask you? Could, why don't you share one of the days with us? Could I? Could you do that?
2: Yes. Sorry. Can I? Can I go back to doing the whistle stop tour through the week? I won't oh, yeah, that I wait. Oh yeah, totally. Do exactly yeah. what you want. So for Sunday in Lent, um, so we have a bit of the Gentles piece, which is looking at angels and instrument players singing um, mm-hmm. to tie into this kind of idea of rejoicing Jerusalem. Um, a poem by George Herbert. We have a George Herbert poem every Sunday. Um, but one in particular, The Flower, which is in this kind of moment of refreshment. Mm. Um, Then coming in on the Monday, poem by Robert Frost, The Painting by Turner. And on the Tuesday, we have the poem that you started with, um, Annunciation by Marie Howe. Um, Mm. And I think this is one of the things that shows some of the kind of creative tensions in this, because when I selected that poem, um, in my head, it was very much a kind of poem to come straight before the Feast of the Annunciation, Mm. which happens the following day and prepare people for it. Um, But then the choice of painting, Larissa's choice of painting, but then Carolyn's choice where to place it, um, was Bruegel, Christ and the Woman Taken in Adultery, which is Mm. quite a different mood or scene in a way. Um, And I found that I suddenly had to reread that poem that I, I knew already quite well by that point, as if it was a poem of the woman taken in adultery um, mm. or a poem mm. as well. Um, and we had a bit of a debate about whether that positioning worked, and I think Carolyn's been a great person all the way through for getting us to also embrace the kind of the tension when the pairings mm. seem like they don't work is often when it leads to the most interesting thinking. Um, mm. Then to continue, so we get to the Feast of the Annunciation, we have a Tanner painting, and now Greco painting, a poem by Denise Levitov called The Annunciation, and a poem um, by John Donne about the Annunciation and the passion falling mm. on the same day. Um, mm. The following day, the Thursday, um, we kind of pick up this theme of kind of conversion or calling, um, drawing closer to God, which has also been surfacing throughout. And we had The Calling of St. Matthew by Caravaggio, um, And then the poem, again, this time Carolyn's pick, not mine, uh, is Francis Thompson's The Hand of Heaven, Um, and Mm. an illustration from that poem Um, and then we get on to the Friday and as I said the Fridays tend to be structured um, well are structured always according to the stations of the cross and so this Friday that Friday was the seventh station of the cross Jesus falls for the second time and then the eighth station of the cross Jesus meets the woman of Jerusalem Mm. Um, and I'm gonna um, Stop talking for a second, and maybe focusing in on that day. Um, maybe Carolyn, you can talk us a bit through um, your choice of painting for that one, because it was it was definitely one that I had to look at myself um, a few times.
1: Yeah, um, sure. So, so there are actually there are two paintings for that day. Um, the first of which is a painting by Site Twombly, who's a, a contemporary artist. Um, And the second one is Mary Cassatt, which I'm not really going to talk about, but um, I think if you can imagine her sort of typical women and children um, happy in the home, I think you can visualize the sort of juxtaposition. Um, So, well, in general, I I really dislike modern art. Um, Mm -hmm. And and mostly it's because I think um, the tendency is for those pieces to tell you what to think, mm-hmm. to be very explicit in what, what they're trying to convey. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's often political, but you know, just in general. Um, and I think that, for me, defeats the purpose of artwork because I think art is supposed to help you uh, um, not enter a train of thought, but enter a, a sort of space of more general mm-hmm. contemplation and so so you look at the art and the longer you look at it, the the more you see and the more you're immersed in it. Mm-hmm. And then when you step back, it's sort of like your mind is clearer to contemplate other ideas as well. Um, and so, the, so we do have a fair number of, of pieces of religious or sacred artwork in the collection. Um, and they're of course very valuable. Um, but I think in general, I tried to put less um explicitly religious pieces in and the Twombly obviously falls into this category. Um and because I think this sort of vagueness there is really important that if what you're expecting to see is a painting of Christ there's a sense in which that's all you're going to see. Um Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're if you're suddenly faced with a piece of artwork that seems to have absolutely no connection to Lent, then you you do have to do this process of of kind of opening up your mind to thinking more. Um so so the Twombly piece is titled Treatise on the Veil. Mm-hmm. Um it's from the sixties or seventies, I think. Um and it's it's massive. It's about ten meters in length. Um and it's just it's strips of paper that are covered in pencil and ink, and then they're taped onto to a canvas. Um, and the the title comes from the myth of Orpheus, who then you know he goes into the underworld to attempt to bring back his wife from the dead. So the the veil in question is the veil between life and death,
0: um,
1: and Okay, so sort of picture that in your mind, or or just look it up. That would also be a great thing to do. (laughs) Um, And then we step back and then think about Jesus falling for the second time. And in this moment, he literally collapsing under the weight of the cross, um, pressed into the ground. Um, and, and into the ground that is going to become his in not too long a time. And it, so it evokes this kind of liminal space, a, a sort of threshold between life and mm-hmm. death. And you can imagine the crowd kind of gasping for breath and, and sort of wondering, is he going to get back up again? Or, or is this it? Um, and I, I think that mirrors very well this painting we have of Twombly where there are these colored panels but then, in between them, there are these white spaces, and it sort of forces you to kind of take a breath and pause and and
0: imagine that space between. Hmm. That's that's really fascinating and beautiful, and um, I like what you said about about the sense of kind of the liminal space or the in betweenness that. Um, the going behind the veil and Jesus falling to the ground, which will become his grave, but he's not quite, he's not quite there yet. And Mm -hmm. so it's, and it kind of, it's like you were saying also, we, I think we tend to rush to the cross or rush to resurrection. Um, But surely the whole point of Lent is to walk with Jesus to the crucifixion and to the resurrection. And we should pause along that journey and not rush to the end and so there's a way in which both that painting, I think, but also this project more generally, is kind of inviting us to live through the whole story because it wasn't just this one moment that did it; it was the whole, the whole journey to Golgotha and the whole, um, and the days in between the crucifixion and the resurrection. And that's, yeah. mm-hmm. and that's what I love so much about you know about actually practicing the church year and practicing Lent is that. Sorry, this is my um, theological aside, but we are redeemed not just by, you know, if God could have just done it by coming down and dying on the cross and that was that, then he could have done that in quite literally a, a day or a weekend, you know, but there's this sense in which Christ redeems us through taking on our flesh in the incarnation and living a whole life that's bound by time that has these in-between moments. And and I think it's very easy to forget that, especially in um, in a world which doesn't have it's time marked very well, um, and but I think you know all of us living in um, isolation for the moment, time feels both very like ambiguous, but also you feel it passing, and so I think having things that help us note what it means for it to pass is really important. Um, also, Shanti, I love. Oh, sorry, did you have something to say? Because I have something about the poem in a minute.
2: Oh, um, which poem? Um. <laughs> I was I was going to go from what you were saying to something about um Holy Saturday. Um mm. just just building on that. We were um uh, we'll come back and we can come back to that specific day, but one of the things that Larissa and I in particular have been talking about is how we think about Holy Week and if we think about Holy Week, um or the ways in which we can think at the same time about Holy Week as a week all about intensely focusing on the passion, reading that narrative um all the way through the week and keeping that always before us which i think is really important and i think the music reflects and then also what you're saying the following the narrative through um and i think something that's been very tempting for me to do when i pulled this together is there are so many poems mm-hmm. of the passion there are so many poems of the annunciation too that i wanted to put in and allowing each to have space um mm-hmm. And to not dominate and I was just when you were saying that thing about the veil I just, um, if you will excuse me just a couple of lines from T.S. Eliot which we put on Holy Saturday which I think is so relevant. in the East Coker um, so we've got two mm. images um, one is a, a, a Rothko which is um, a kind of entirely black one of those big Rothko panels um, and the other one is uh, from um, Robert Flood's Oh, now, nah, testing my Latin. Utra sequae comsi, which is a cosme, even, which is a series of images depicting the creation of the universe. So they're mm. both entirely black panels, but one is, um, or one definitely seems to be, all about kind of silence, agony, darkness, and one is the infinity just before creation. Hmm. And then in between we have these lines from Eliot, from East Coker. I said to my soul, be still and let the dark come upon you, which will be the darkness of God. As in a theatre, the lights are extinguished for the scene to be changed, hmm. where a hollow rumble of wings with the movement of darkness on darkness. And we know that the hills and the trees, the distant panorama and the bold imposing facade are all being rolled away. Or as when an underground train in the tube stops too long between stations and the conversation rises and slowly fades into silence. Hmm. That is beautiful. It's... Yeah. It's the, it reminds me
0: of, um, one of my favorite things I had to read in my first year of my PhD was Bonaventure's journey into God, where he talks about like all these different ways that we can perceive God. And it starts with, um, I think it's outward, inward, upward. So he says, look at all the ways you can experience God in the natural world, and it's beautiful, and it's orderly, and it's, you know, all these things. And then look in your inside of your own heart. It's um, You can sense that you have the capacity to think and reason, and you have the capacity to choose, and all these things speak of God. So he goes through all these different ways that we're kind of drawn to God through the world, through ourselves. But then the place that he ends is at the very, like at the peak, once you've gone deeper and deeper into all the ways that you can perceive and relate to God, he says come now, let us enter into darkness um, and into the darkness of Christ crucified. But that there's something about this place where there are no words and no, even no light in some sense that actually is the real entrance into a new birth. And I always thought that was interesting that he like sees this ascent closer and closer to God. And ultimately the place where you come closest to God is in this, in this silence that is abundant. It's like the silence of womb. Something that I wanted to pick up on and, Um, and maybe there's other artworks or thoughts you all had that dealt with this. I loved the poem that we read at the beginning. And I love the idea of interacting with the, not just being Mary, but being the woman, um, the adulterous woman, because it has this kind of, to me, I'm pulling back up, but it has this, I love the opening line. If I don't see it again, nor ever feel it, I know it is. And there's this sense of something which has happened in a moment, which then sustains the way that you live ever after that moment. There's this I wish I had it up, but there's a uh, there's a passage from the Jewish writer, Abraham Heschel, where he talks about faith is faithfulness to moments that you have perceived God. So he talks about we've all had a moment in our lives where we have known suddenly that that God existed or that he was faithful to us in some way. And it may be one moment that we don't have every day the rest of our lives, but that you live in faithfulness to that moment of God's self-disclosure. Um, and it somehow changes everything else in the rest of you. And I love this poem kind of seems to have that sense of, if I don't see it again, nor ever feel it, I know it is. Um, and that that's true for Mary, right? When she has the enunciation uh, that this moment will shape her the rest of her life. And I always think of... You know, when you think about those connections between Annunciation and Crucifixion, that not so long after the Annunciation, when when Jesus is, goes to the temple, she's told that a sword will pierce her heart, but she still will always have had this moment, and that will transfigure all the other moments that come before and after it, in some sense. But how it's a similar thing with the with the adulterous woman who's forgiven, and like that moment, then shapes what comes after it. So I just loved that idea of of the way that. A life can be lived in faithfulness or memory of something that happened and thus transforms everything that will happen after it mm. and then that it's kind of the uniting of you can have the Annunciation and the crucifixion of the, and how they can kind of live together in memory.
3: Mm-hmm. It was a very difficult one to put into music uh, or to pair mm. into music um, and the way the way it managed itself out mm. was to specifically put something. In which there is a sense of that sacramental presence of Christ, and so going Mm. back to Eucharistic hymns, and so it ended up being a setting of the Ave Verum Corpus by Mm. Mozart, because that's the most tender setting that I know of it. Um, But that's, uh, uh, as we said earlier, that was just a great example of how difficult tensions Mm go deeper into something that we, in a particular, in the particular, particularly the particular, sorry, there's a lot of particularity, um, <laughs> in the particular Anglo-Catholic tradition, um, mm. where <clears throat> that sacramental presence is so central in mm. the worship. Um, that was a a centering back of the Annunciation to Christ. Um, mm and so also shaking up where we're going
2: mm-hmm.
3: sorry Shanti you were about to say something
2: I was going to say I think just to build on what you were saying the way you made that link which then was really helpful to me was looking towards the end of the poem at that line I mm-hmm. thought I'd die from being loved like that mm-hmm. um, and seeing in that line going back to what you were saying Joy a, a kind of uh a, a movement way in which this um originally in my head was sort of a poem about the Annunciation to put a day before the Annunciation, mm. um before some much more explicit Annunciation poems then opened up into in reading it and in setting it with these artworks and with Larissa's choice of music where it's sacramental focus became much more about being aware of the passion coming i thought i'd die mm. from being loved like that and and like you say joy being aware of the ongoing conversion of the soul, to use mm. that motif, that it is myself I want to turn in that direction, mm. tilting within myself. Um, and I think those are those are two things that we've followed through because the liturgical season asks us to follow through. I think that's an important um, point to make as well, that we didn't sit down with a blank canvas and say, what are the, what are the interesting motifs we can mm-hmm. pull out in this length? Um, the motifs we have are the motifs Lent has given us. So what's this journey? What's this conversion? What's this turning towards God? What does that look like? Um, how do we think about the passion? What does that mean? And how do we think about these moments of encounter? So how do we think about the Annunciation? How do we think about the woman taken in adultery? I also, the, the poem the day before is a Robert Frost poem, Carolyn picked out, which, um, Carolyn, maybe Louisa, someone that would picked me. out. Yeah. Um, which talks about kneeling at well curbs. So because the, the common worship lectionary sets Jesus meeting the woman at the well that previous Sunday as well. I think that's another kind of encounter with Christ you can think about.
0: Hmm. I'm curious, um, two questions. Uh, one is, how has this been, how has this affected your own like devotional or thought life as you've had to think through all these things? Uh, Has it been like a very intellectual enterprise of putting all these things together? Has it impacted you personally? And the second question, which you can answer later or first, whichever you like, is what have
3: people's responses been to it? There is always a tension when building big projects. And it's a bit like when you're singing in a choir and you always have that liturgical jet lag between what you're actually rehearsing and what you're actually offering in worship. And then you start rehearsing Easter roughly when Candlemas is done. So you're always two or three steps ahead. So I've always had that tension of what I'm actually intellectually plotting versus where my devotions are. Mm. Um, And one of the great things for me was to rediscover when receiving Chante's email on a daily basis. Um, The email comes from all of us guys. (laughs) True. (laughs) But I'm still (laughs) receiving them as if Anyway, um, (laughs) uh, receiving our emails on a daily basis, uh, rediscovering certain bits that are really striking to me because devotionally I hadn't seen them. Hmm. And that's in particular true. A good example of that was, um, so on each Sundays we have um, the weekly paragraphs before the Holy Sacrament by Austin Ferrer, um, Hmm. who was the warden at Keble College, where I'm currently based in Oxford, um, in the 1960s, big theologian, Anglican theologian. Um, very short paragraphs, very striking, very um, focused on the passion, death and resurrection of um, of Christ. Um, and I can perhaps read um, some of that paragraph that was absolutely... Did I send that to you, Carolyn? I think I did. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, If, it, if this is death, I ought to embrace it for Christ's sake and be willing not only to die, but to lie dead in sure and certain hope. Where the burial of Christ is, there the resurrection of Christ will be. Hmm. And so when, when we're plotting this, and we're of course now having this conversation within the particular world conditions that are hmm. currently around us uh, in isolation, but I had no idea that was going to be the case. Mm. Um, And that was just a nice way of structuring um, those are really good paragraphs about the sacrament and going through Lent and they echo um, the lecturer really well. We should put them because they're really good and people perhaps don't know them. Um, And now that boomerangs back to me uh, and speaks to me on a much deeper level. And so um, there is there is this aspect of dissociation, dissociating the intellectual plotting Mm. of it. And the satisfaction that comes from a coherent, ordered, hmm. wonderful, um, making sense, cross illuminating hmm. project from this actually is... being receiving, receiving what we're. It's I guess perhaps just a good metaphor of, yeah. of how life and works.
0: Not to work. uh, con- not to continually um, quote Bonaventure, but um, I. I've had a similar, it's a funny thing and it sounds probably kind of, I don't know, full of myself, but I've had the experience sometimes of having written something which you wrote in like a very intellectual or, you know, kind of intentional mode and then reading back on it later and it actually then encouraging you. And I think there's kind of this trust that you have to have that if you are living and you're a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit in you, that God is not somehow like separately like doesn't work in your intellect but only works in your devotional mode you know Mm -hmm. and there's this wonderful prayer at the beginning of the soul's journey into God where Bonaventure says let the scholar not believe that reading is sufficient without unction speculation without devotion investigation without wonder observation without joy work without piety knowledge without love or understanding without humility and I think it's funny because I think sometimes you can do something in that mode of the scholar but you can then look back and Um, and what kind of began in speculation can become devotion and what began in investigation can become wonder and what begins in observation can become joy. Um, And I think that's a real delight and pleasure and also just a sign of the way that the spirit can work both through your intellect and um, and your emotions and heart.
2: Mm. And I think I at least sometimes feel like I I kind of, I approach my academics as if they are my academics. They are a different mm-hmm. bit, and then there's the prayer time, and they're separate things. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, that is that is true in some ways, particularly if you're you're in a field like English or anthropology or genetics, yeah. um, not in theology. But I I think a lot of this, the kind of most recent part of this year for me also has been embracing the entanglement of the two. So mm-hmm. ways of doing scholarship that also informed by my faith ways of doing faith that are also true to you know the intellectual and naughty bits of me as well yeah. um, and not trying to <laughs> to cordon them off but kind of bringing all of myself all of the time yeah. um and, and the greater glory
3: going... of god at the, moment, <laughs> the yeah Sorry, i'm being very jesuit here <laughs> <laughs> rock on <laughs>
2: um, and i think going back to larissa's point about those those paragraphs by Austin Farrett. they were at the at the time of putting this together I was I think I said to the I was less sure about them they didn't mm-hmm. speak to me quite as much there are other theologians that I love I was like can we have a bit of a sermon by Robert Krauss every week if we're having prose can we <laughs> um, but there's something about them being paragraphs on the holy sacrament at a time mm-hmm. when none of us are receiving the sacrament which um which I didn't didn't expect, but which mm. has been really moving.
3: Yeah. Um,
2: I think also I find personally that because a lot of the music, um, Larissa, who sings in keyboard Choir alongside her PhD um, and is exceptionally musical, um, I think has brought to both Carolyn and I so many pieces we didn't know before, um, mm. kind of opened a whole new world. And I often find that it's the time each day of listening to that music, which tends to be new to me each day, even if we all, you know, uh, promise and do our best to listen to the playlist for the rest often that that's the bit that really grabs me mm. um I think also on a very personal level there's something about um this is the is you know joy obviously from the fact that I was only um, baptized and confirmed with you last Pentecost this is the first Lent that I have walked mm. through liturgically um and so every day or every week of Lent it's my first time with those mm. readings it's my first time with the season. Um, which is very moving yeah
0: what a, what a first Lent
2: <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> what a first Holy Week
0: yeah. the Lentiest Lent I've ever Lented as a part <laughs> of <my>
2: footage
0: <laughs> indeed Carolyn did you have any thoughts you wanted to add
1: no I feel like it's hard to top that one um, I, I will say that that it's the sort of return of the gift that makes mm. it meaningful that in the thick of it especially well before lent has begin begun sorry it it did sort of feel like we were just throwing things on a page and shuffling them around a lot um and not taking time to really soak them up
0: but now it's coming back as a gift to you
1: yeah yeah
0: mm, that's so beautiful now um If people want to receive, I will put this up on Thursday, so they'll probably, they'll have one week left, one week and a few days. If they wanted to receive your email, can I send them your way?
2: Please do. they are all nodding.
0: They're all nodding. Um, Sorry. No, no. So um, I, the thing that we haven't talked about that I want to talk about is that this has really come out of the friendship that you all have developed together. And something that I am very passionate about is how profoundly important friendship is, and particularly friendship among women. I think there's oftentimes a very, you know, there are many things I enjoy about the kind of trite image of women's friendship. Like, I enjoy painting one's nails and watching, you know, romantic movies as much as the next person, but that is so kind of the trivial image sometimes we have of women's friendship. Um, And my experience in life has been so much more kind of fundamental and rooted in how important it's been for me to have women and a sister and a mother and sister and mother figures in my life that have helped me grow spiritually, that have helped, um, that have helped me become who I am intellectually that I've gotten to partner with. And I think it's really cool to watch this beautiful project come out of what is essentially a friendship. So I was just curious, um, what are you all's thoughts on, yeah, on, on that, on what friendship can do and why it's important and why, um, who it can make you into better sort of person. I don't know, there's my general prompt, grab at whatever part of it makes sense or you most want to talk about.
3: That's a very hard question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a very profound question. Um, it's <clears throat> It's funny sometimes when I reflect upon those Lenten reflections or Lenten plotting, how it's both stemming from a friendship that was already there Mm. and nurturing it back in return. I've learned so much about Shanti and Carolyn and Mm. um, because I'm not very literate in English literature, and because I don't know much about paintings, But we know we have this common thing in the middle that we can Mm. all nurture. And that's also, it's a bit like if you have a seed and you're all Mm. contributing to the water and then you all get the tomatoes out of it. Um, You can tell that I've been plotting um, getting more into gardening in this time.
0: (laughs) Well, I'll move to your house if if the apocalypse comes. Um,
3: So so that's been part of it. Um, The... the coming to God and to each other Mm. and the opening up and the listening and the, Mm. it's not a very structured thought, is it?
0: No, it Uh, makes sense. I think what you're getting at is something I've thought about a lot, which is that friendships have to be about something other than just needing each other. Like there's a sense of needing each other, but also that you all are bonded around deeper things and convictions that kind of give you something for this friendship to be about.
3: And it's not to say that all, all has been a very, like we've often had very passionate discussions. Particularly, <laughs> uh, well, not only Holy Tuesday, we've touched on Holy Tuesday. Um, oh, have we mentioned Holy Tuesday on this podcast? Please mention have.
0: Holy Tuesday.
3: I've heard about it, but
0: I don't think my podcast listeners have yet. <laughs>
2: Basically coming back to this question about how do we think about Holy Week and I think this goes to a friendship thing as well because I think um, because we're all in the same kind of liturgical rhythms, because we, we worshiped or we used to worship at the same place, because we all kind of have friends in common as well as each other, I think I could assume that everyone is in my brain and that we're all in each other's brains. Um, and so I just thought it would be, you know, blindingly obvious that uh, we ought to proceed through Holy Week narratively, and I hope it would be blindingly obvious that we ought to focus on the Passion. Um, and anyway, it focused on uh, um, uh I, in a, you know, coronavirus-induced mood of shuffling around our already finished reflections, um, decided <laughs> that I would uh, put a new poem on Holy Tuesday. Um, and uh, and I thought this was a lovely poem. and um,
3: It was a lovely poem. <laughs>
2: Um, <laughs> um, but 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 perhaps less suited to holy tuesday or perhaps not but i think um i'm explaining this terribly badly um but i think that was an example of like larissa and i sent some emails to each other very late at night debating whether or not this poem should go there and what the music poem pairing should be um And I I sent that email explaining why that poem should definitely be on Holy Tuesday. Um, And and Larissa agreed and that was all settled. Um, And then I thought about it for another three hours. And I was like, "Mm, maybe Larissa is right, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Larissa is right. Um, uh, And so I I think there have been moments like that all along where it's not so much that we're, I think arguing is the wrong word, but where there are disagreements in a way yeah. that normally if you're just sort of hanging out with friends yeah. occasionally, remotely, now I'm based in Cambridge, you might not have. But I think there's been all sorts of opportunities to have sort of interesting conversations or interesting disagreements or talk about things kindly or listen to each other in a mm-hmm. way that feels very kind of deepening and creative and fruitful. And it is centered on this project, but is much more fundamental about, you know, how we live in relationship, how we live in community, um, how we practice kind of, again, forgive the the bold words, but kind of Christian virtues and Christian forgiveness and kind of learning.
0: Well, and that those things don't happen in the abstract and friendship doesn't happen in the abstract. It happens while you're doing a thing with particular people. And it usually doesn't you want it to happen with, you know things that are unimportant to you, but learning how to actually have real disagreements, even if they're not arguments over things that are really important to you is a big deal.
1: I think it it has this process, as I think good friendships ought to, um, has taught me at least a, a kind of twofold humility and and the first kind is the sacrificing what I want for what someone else wants, whether it's because they're actually right or simply because they want it, and I don't always need to have yep. what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think that's very important, and we've all worked hard on it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'm not implying anything. <laughs> uh, second, has um, sacrifice and and if someone's saying okay we'll do it your way Carolyn and, and realizing that it's not it's probably not because I'm right <laughs> it's probably because they're taking care of me hmm. and because we're a very hard thing to work through but I think a very very important in relationships in general yeah hmm.
0: Yeah, that is a really interesting and good thought. Yeah. um, Some of my most surprising moments in life and some of the most formative moments, some of those moments that I live out of in retrospect are when you realize that someone has done or forgiven or been good to you and it wasn't because you deserved it or were particularly whatever. Um, I think those moments of genuine charity and love can go a long way in shaping who we all become. And that's part of the gift of friendship.
2: And I think the last thing to say about friendship and maybe a good thought to close on is, is not how much this has, has been about forgiveness and charity and learning how to be friends and all of those things, but just how continually surprised and delighted I've been to see how much Garissa knows about music, how much Carolyn knows about painting, how much they both understand and think about God and friendship and how kind of deep and rich and wonderful they are as people. I think so much of it is also... Uh, in my friendship with you as well, is about learning people and being surprised by them and being delighted in them and kind of seeing how rich and full and good all these various women are.
0: Yes. The, I I could not agree more. And I think all of you are fascinating, deep and interesting women who bring out the different, there's a, I can't remember where the quote is, but they bring, you bring out different lights in each other that couldn't have existed if you didn't know and get to delight in and learn from one another so um thank you all so much for being on the show today this has been so delightful and so uplifting I feel like I'm going to go into my Tuesday um lighter of heart and deeper of soul hopefully because of all of your delightfulness um Shanti do you want to close us with a poem from the series
2: yes so I think um that we will close with a poem called "Lacrimae amantis by Geoffrey Hill um which at least in the way I've been thinking about it, is the poem that really kind of stands in for so much of what we're doing in Lent. Mm-hmm. And I also associate very much with Maundy Thursday and that mode of, of drowsing um, mm-hmm. in the Garden of Gethsemane when you want to be faithful. Um, so with that in mind. Yes. And I'll have you,
0: I w- also would just say, if you do want to get their emails, send me a note through my website, com, and I will connect you all. <laughs> Shanti, close us.
2: So this is Lacrimae Amantis by Geoffrey Hill. What is there in my heart that you should so, sue so fiercely for its love? What kind of care brings you as though a stranger to my door through the long night and in the icy dew, seeking the heart that will not harbour you, that keeps itself religiously secure? Abyss-dark solstice filled with frost and fire, Your passion's ancient wounds must bleed anew. So many nights the angel of my house Has fed such urgent comfort through a dream, Whispered, your Lord is coming, he is close, That I have drowsed, half-faithful, for a time, Bathed in pure tones of promise and remorse, Tomorrow I shall wake to welcome him.